0: Hey, this is Dave Chris. I'm the pastor of We're A One based out of Gateway Assembly, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that this equips you and encourages you in your faith to see Jesus more clearly in your life. Let's hit it.
1: I'm
0: excited for this message, though. Um, This is one of my favorites, man. This kind of just stuck with us. Um, This was the third series that I had ever preached Uh, when I became the youth pastor at the time at We Are One. As before, our team had grown. We had multiple pastors before we had the leadership team we have and all that. And I was kind of starting off trying to figure out what I was doing. But I preached this series called Battlegrounds. And uh, this kind of became something that would stick with us for like 10 years. And I'll never forget the third message in this series, I think the message was called Yo, Adrian. And I used the clip from Rocky. I think when he wins, he's like, Yo, Adrian, I did it, right? That was like the ending of my message and everything. And I think the punchline of that was like, can you imagine this moment finally when we get in heaven and we go, Yo, Jesus, I did it, I made it. I think that was like the preaching point I made. But something that I, uh, I did in that message, I believe it was in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And I want to put it up on the screen here. Verse 26. I was going to guess that is what it is. Therefore, the Apostle Paul says this. I use this verse. He says, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer that is beating the air. Meaning, the Apostle Paul, he's saying, when I punch, I punch with a purpose. When I punch, I punch with some passion. When I punch, meaning when I live for God, I'm not just like doing it aimlessly and flopping around and not having a clue. I follow what God's word says, and so I'm not just making random attempts at following him. I'm making very purposeful and spirit-led life-altering decisions and attempts, let's call it, right, to follow God. And so this is the third message of this series And I had these boxing gloves. Actually, (laughs) these bad rascals are 10 years old. And I had these boxing gloves. And now, I've learned a little bit in the last 10 years. Because what I did was there was three high school senior football players that showed up on that night for that message. And I thought it was so cool that those guys were here. So I made them come up. And they put these boxing gloves on. And I made them punch like this in front of everyone at the air. Now, I've learned when you have VIPs show up, you don't bring them up and embarrass them in front of everybody. I've learned that. It took me 10 years, but I figured that out now. But here's what I found that was so cool. Out of the three that I brought up, one of them figured out how to punch. One of them figured out how to follow Jesus. One of them figured out how to give it their whole life, their all, how to come under the amazing umbrella of the church, how to become a servant, how to get a hold of what it means to punch the way that Jesus would call you to, right? And only one of them, after 10 years has lasted, but the power of when you learn how to punch. That's a whole nother sermon, right? The power of the punch, right? That's another whole sermon. But I think this is amazing that Matt Prosser right here in the front row was one of those people. Get up here that I brought up. You were a senior in high school. Put these on. I'm going to make them do it again tonight. I thought for like old times sake, I'll make you do it again. Do you remember this? <laughs> that one? Oh, yeah, I forgot. We had two right hand gloves. We don't have all the right ones, so we, we just made it put together. Remember that too? Okay, show them, do it, punch. No, come on, give it, Get like. give it. Come on, baby, come on, baby. <laughs> okay, hey man, I just thought it was amazing. Isn't it, isn't it crazy, 10 years ago, man, during this series, This sermon, right, the third sermon of this series, he stepped into We Are One, and Jesus forever changed his life. He's been a leader since then. He's seen God do amazing things in his life. Come on, give a hand for Jesus and a hand for this guy. Woo! I just had to celebrate that because, listen, in ministry, it's really discouraging a lot of times because you see a lot of people come in these doors, and they walk right out these doors, and they're not changed. And it's not because the gospel isn't powerful. It's not because this isn't truth. That is the very reason. It's because they recognize it's truth and they do not want to have to change. If you're going to punch the way Jesus has called you to, if you're going to follow Jesus and fight the way that God's called you to, it ain't going to look like the way the world's doing it. It's going to look different. And so only few people, you see, I brought up three, but only one of them has continued since then to truly follow Jesus. Maybe you don't understand this tonight, but we are at war. I'm not talking about America. America's been at war forever. I'm talking about a war that's been even going on longer than America. We are at war spiritually. There is a battleground that every single one of us, we are fighting on, we are stepping on. And listen, there's blood all over the ground everywhere you step. There's dead bodies everywhere you step. There is actual, like, dramatic traumatic, I should say, situations of war, everywhere you step, every single day, the issue for you is that you can't see it. And what you will come to realize as a, as a follower of Jesus is most of what is happening in this relationship with Jesus is not something you can see, but it's what you can't see. See, the byproduct usually later when you allow God to do things in you that are unseen, other people finally take notice of them because it first transpired in your spirit. It first transpired in faith. And then later somebody's like, hey, why why aren't you doing that anymore? Hey, why don't you go there anymore? Why don't you talk like that anymore? Because God did something in the unseen that finally became seen to other people. But we are warring all the time. There are battlegrounds we're stepping on all the time. The Apostle Paul, he wrote in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, he said, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. What is he saying? It ain't what you can see here in the natural. He said, but we are fighting against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. The fight is not something day-to-day against one another that we can see, although problematically people are fighting in the flesh against one another. They're fighting because of color. They're fighting because of politics. They're fighting because of, of religion. They're fighting because of nation versus nation. That is happening, but that's not what the Apostle Paul is referring to. See, the battlegrounds that we're constantly facing, they're not supposed to be with one another. So your issue, when you have an issue, listen, it ain't, it ain't with your mama. It ain't with your friend. The real issue is not with somebody who is a Republican versus a Democrat. That's not the issue. The issue is there's something happening in the spirit world. There's something happening in the spirit realm. There's a spiritual battleground that we when we are stepping on, demons and angels have already been fighting on before we even step on it. So many times when I'm wrestling with certain things in my spirit, I recognize and say, Lord, I need you to send your angels and fight with me because what I'm experiencing is demonic attacks. It's supernatural. It's spiritual. It's not natural and physical. Do you understand? You're with me tonight. If this is new to you, this idea of what is beyond what you can see, then your mind's about to be blown tonight. Because there's just so much, even when we read in the Bible, what they are signifying through the stories that God allowed to be illuminated in the Bible. How do we take them from that day to this day? We realize that we might not actually face some of the things that we're facing in the Bible in the same way, but that doesn't mean in some sort of way we're not facing the same story. We're facing the same attacks. We're We're facing the same spirits. There's things that we just can't handle on our own and we got to call in the big guns. We got to call in the Holy Spirit. We can't do it without the Holy Spirit. We have to call in the angels of heaven. The Bible even talks about like Michael, Michael the Archangel or something like like an arch, archangel that ain't like a typical angel. Like an archangel, he is a bad Angel. That dude like about to bust some demons up, okay? So when I'm like calling in the angels, I'm like, man, give me one of the arks, man. Give me an archangel or something right now. I got something I need some help with tonight. How many times you find yourself in a situation and next thing you know, you are completely on your own trying to deal with it and you never even stop to realize and go, I needed to pray about that. I needed to call in some backup on that. My issue was not with the person I was talking to. My issue was with the spirit that was tempting and tormenting within that conversation. Too many times, we find ourselves knee deep on a battleground in a fight with somebody, and the Apostle Paul just said, Your issue was never physical, it's spiritual. I would, can, can I just help you with your mind tonight? This is, this is on page one. I got a few pages to get through tonight. I'm way off my notes because the Holy Spirit's trying to help some people tonight. If you would recognize this very thought before I get into this Bible story, that's my favorite of all time I'm about to talk about, right? If you would recognize this thought that I would say 999 to 100% of your issues are not physical and natural, they are spiritual and supernatural. So when you're walking through it, if you would just take a second to stop and go, God, I need to pray about this right now because my problem is not with this person. My problem is not with this situation. My problem is not just in this circumstance. There is an enemy of my soul called the devil. There are demons sent from hell that are here to torment and to tempt and to discourage and try to get my mind off track. And man, I'm not mad at my wife. I'm not mad at my husband. I'm not mad at my brother. I'm not mad at this person that got my order wrong at Wendy's. I'm right now caught in the crossfire of supernatural spiritual battleground. Are you with me tonight? This is what we must understand as we go into it tonight. When I did this series in 2011, there was this phrase that I just beat to death and used over and over again. And somehow, I don't know why, but it stuck for 10 years, we'd say, These are the battlegrounds. This is your life. You got two options. If you know it, say it fight or die. Come on, come on.
1: let But it's fight
0: or die. Fight or die. Okay. Okay, hey, before you grab your seat, tell somebody, hey, you got two options, fight or die, grab your seat. Now is your blood pumping? You ready for the Bible now? So like one of my favorite battlegrounds in the Bible all time is in first Samuel, where the Philistines are gathered against the Israelites, and the Bible says that they bring out their champion. Now, if you're going to get the title champion, that means that you've won a couple wars. You've been in a couple battles. you got some victories. It's not like some random title where they're just trying to like intimidate. It means you're probably somebody that's a little bit special when it comes to warfare. So it says in 1 Samuel 17, let's start at verse 4, here's the champion. A champion named Goliath who David and Goliath here it comes this is this is I have not preached this in so many years I'm about to preach this so hard devil tonight this is going to come so hard Goliath who was from Gath came out of the Philistine camp and his height was six cubits in a span and he had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels on his legs he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point uh, weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. So like his, his shield bearer is like just carrying a shield next to him because the dude's so weaponized here. Now, you, what do you got to know about Goliath? The champion Goliath, he is of what was called the Nephilim. The Nephilim was essentially this gigantic, demonic people group that were procreated, if you read in Genesis chapter 6, where demons had come on earth and they slept with women. And they created what was known as the Nephilim. Different times in the Bible, in the Old Testament, you'll see the Nephilim referred to. So when this guy is here described as six cubits and a span high, that would translate to three meters Or for us Americans, let's put it in feet, nine feet, nine inches. Or if it helps you understand a little more, four feet taller than me, literally. Now, if if you're hearing this tonight and you're wondering is some of this possible, if you just look up tallest people in the world, you will find that it is possible to get this big. So now when you take in the word of God and you understand that this guy derives from the Nephilim, Whew. This gets scary where this is about to go. Now, if you don't know this story, it gets good. I mean, by the end of this, it gets real good. Now, on the battleground here, what was happening was you had the Philistines lined up at one side and the Israelites at another side, and there was this big valley in between them, the Bible says. And they were facing one another, and in verse 8, it describes what was happening. It says that Goliath stood... And shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? He's saying, like, why are you even wasting your time? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? He's trying to put them down if you ain't catching it. Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight me and kill me, we will become your subjects, your slaves. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. So what he's trying to set up here is not typical warfare. He's trying to set up a one-v-one situation. This entire battle is built on one versus one. And I love this understanding of the description of Goliath because when the Bible describes things, don't, this isn't an accident when there's description in the Bible. Read them, understand them, take them in. Because God's trying to set up a monumental triumph by the end of the, of the passage. But many times you're like, oh, six cubits and a span. I don't know what that means. Let's move on. It means he's nine feet freaking nine inches tall is what it means. Why does that matter? Is anybody in this room nine foot nine inches tall? I think like the tallest person in this room is maybe like six foot six Right Now, when I stand next to Jordan, I feel small. Anybody else? But when Jordan stands next to Goliath, he feels smaller than some of you feel standing next to him. I was trying to even put this into, into the understanding here. Is anybody in the room, you're like five foot tall in the room? Like, uh, like quite, whoa, quite a few of you. Sorry, shorties. Okay. Okay. Uh, Okay, you're like five foot tall. Now, in comparison, standing next to me, you're maybe a little bit shorter than me because I'm not that tall. Like, I think I'm below average, right? But standing next to Goliath, he's like nearly double your height if you're taking in the math here. You're looking up twice your height above you at a human being. A human being with like demonic venom blood in his veins or whatever he had. I don't know exactly. I don't got that. scripture here. But he would go out 1v1 and he would defy the armies of the Lord. And so God's like, okay, I'm going to set this up. I love how God tees up his word. Because what happens is once Jesus came to planet earth, the Bible says that the word became flesh. Which means now there's this understanding that when we take in his word from his spirit, we can live out these same exact stories. God sets it up for an underdog story every time. He sets up to pin the biggest guy against the least likely person, the least likely character in all of this story to try to win the battle. And in this case, specifically, if you don't know, I'll set it up quick. We'll get into it. He set up a guy by the name of David. David was a shepherd boy. David was young. Scholars believe that David was between the age of like 10 to 15 years old. Let's just call him 12 and make it simple, like right, rather than 12 and a half, right? right on the middle. 12. So David's like 12 years old, and he's about to go against this ginormous dude, the Bible's about to set this up here for us, and fight. Now, I know for some of you that's like, okay, this is like a cute story. No, no, I, I, want, you, I want you to imagine. How many of y'all between the age of 10, 15 in the room? Put your hands up. You're between the age of 10 and 15 in the room. Okay. Some of you are like, uh, I can't remember how old am I. Okay. So quite a few, I'm trying to have you imagine this. You have to go out, and you have to fight this person. Now, how many in the room are like me? You're not a a fighter. You're a lover. But you'll fight for love. Okay. (laughs) And see, he's about to have to go against this. So David was the youngest of eight brothers. So the three oldest brothers were already off to war. And they were fighting for King Saul. I don't know if you call it that. I'd probably call it standing for King Saul because no one actually fought. Goliath would just come out and torment and taunt them, and then they would all stand there and get scared about it. But David's the youngest, and so the father, Jesse, he goes, hey, I want you to go check up on your brothers, bring them some food, hook them up, see how they're doing. So the Bible says that after David arrived in verse 22, David left his things with the keeper of supplies. He ran to the battle lines. You can tell, like, he's like, hey, take the I want to go where the action's at. He runs to the battle lines, and he asks his brothers how they were. Like, what's going down? Tell me this skinny. What's going down right now? And as he was talking to them, perfect teed-up moment. It's like a movie. Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, steps out from the lines. And he shouts with his usual defiance. And I love these three words. David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in fear. Great fear. So here they're all lined up. Goliath comes out. They get scared. They run. And David's standing there. What is it? Three words. It seems like it's not that big of a deal, but it is. David heard it. See, everybody else heard it too. But why was this different? Because, see, David hadn't been there in, in the, the everyday, him coming out, doing this thing. And David's like, uh, uh, excuse me, what, what did he just say right now? Like, it's almost like something kind of got in, in, in David's crawl a little bit. Uh, he's like, uh, 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 What did he just say right now? Okay, my brothers, uh, are you listening to what he just said right now? Because I'm pretty sure that he just defied the armies of Israel and the Lord God Almighty. I don't, like, was, was nobody else listening? The Bible says David heard it. So can I tell you that you're going to be in places in your life all over the place where there's going to be things being said in movies, there's going to be things being said at school, there's going to be things said all over the place, that everybody else, it kind of just goes in one ear, come out the other, it just kind of just falls off. Like, But you're going to hear it differently, and you're going to say, you know what, I don't know if no, nobody else is paying attention to this, but I'm hearing something different that's being said right now, and I don't think this should be being said. Can I tell you that David might have just been a young little boy But God was teeing up this story here that he would be primed and ready, led by the Holy Spirit in a moment like this, to be listening to what maybe everybody else is letting just fall off. I think the issue with some people, maybe even in this room, is that you've just become kind of numb and let things become usual. Like people are cussing around you so much you don't even notice it anymore. Like, well, it's just like my family always watches movies like this and you don't even notice it anymore. And see what? What this is saying here is that David's ears perked up, and he noticed that there was something that was just not quite right here in this instance. Like I know y'all are becoming kind of immune to this, what he's saying right here, but I don't like this. I don't like hearing him talk like this. Can I tell you that God is looking for young people in this generation, that they will hear him, they will hear what's happening out in culture, and they will respond. How will they fight? They will fight with prayer. They will fight by declaring his word. They will fight by stepping into a circumstance like David did with Goliath and say, you shut up and you don't be talking about my God like that. You shut up. You don't be talking about my family like that. You shut up. You don't be talking about God's word like that. You shut up. And God's calling us to be a generation that says, devil, shut up. You've been talking to me long enough about this. You've been tempting me long enough about this. You've been trying to get inside of me and get all over me, and I can feel you. It's like you're rip, trying to rip me apart. You've been trying to get me with these people. You've been trying to get me to date this person. You've been trying to get me to listen to my parents about this thing that I know is not God's word, or you've been trying to rip me from my parents because they are trying to leave me in God's word. Devil, shut up. See, the issue is that oh, too many of us, we've been sending out the battle lines, and we ain't listening. We're there, but we're really not there. We call ourselves believers or Christians or Christ followers or however you want to label it, but are we? Because we just stand in there at the battle lines and we're not really doing anything. Because if we were truly listening, I think we'd pray different. If we were truly listening, I think that we would talk different. If we were truly listening... You know, it would be on our tongue more than politics, more than latest movies or video games or songs. The word of God would be coming from our lips in every conversation that it possibly could. Because why? David heard it. There was something that everybody else was standing there listening to. And for some reason, they decided to become numb and immune to it. And they weren't listening. And if you don't know this story, I found... Um, a visual. I want to help you with a visual here if you don't know it to really kind of help you process the story. I will tell you this is spoiler alert, BTW. I'm about to give the ending of it all, but I was going through some archives. Uh, the History Channel had put this out a long time ago, and I thought maybe it'd help you take in the story, and I'm going to continue to preach it and hopefully help you understand the truth. So here it is. This is a
1: story of David and Goliath. Our two stars, or three stars, or David Jeffrey Chris, Stephen William Chris, Darius as Goliath, Luke Tyler Chris, dying himself, came out to the Philistines camp, and he was over nine feet tall. Goliath shouted to the Israelites, Give me a man! He shouted to the Israelites, Give me a man! Give me a man! And let us fight each other! And let us fight each other. All the Israelites were terrified. David said to Saul, "I'll fight him. I'll fight him. I'll fight him. I'll fight him." Saul replied, "You say, you're only a boy. Say that you're only a boy." I, only boy. Okay, Sam. <laughs> but David said to Saul, "I've killed the lion and the bear." I've killed the lion and the bear. God will deliver me from the hand of the Philistines. God will deliver me from the hand of the Philistines. With his sling in his hand, he approached Goliath. <laughs> Goliath looked at David over and saw that he was only a boy. Can I a dog. That you come at me with sticks. Don't, go, David. Don't, go, David. He round and round and round and round and round and then he let it go. Oh. <laughs> David took his sword out and cut off Goliath's neck. And Goliath had no more head.
0: Classic. <laughs> Hi. So, for those of you, uh, if you're new, you didn't know. That's. That's my brothers and I. It's not from the History Channel. I lied, just in case. Like, wow, that's from the History Channel? Like, no, it's not. So David goes to King Saul, and he's like, listen, let me fight this dude. And now David had a good rapport with King Saul because David was uh, an amazing musician. He played the harp, and he'd come and he'd play for King Saul to get him to calm down. And so when David comes to King Saul, he's kind of like, hey, let me fight this dude. I got this. And King Saul says... You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. And he has been a young warrior from his youth. He's saying, since he was your age, he's been fighting and he's a brute. He's going to rip you apart. You can't go fight him. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me... I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has uh, killed both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Just to help you understand here, This wasn't like, hey, kid, you're annoying me, whatever, just go. I want to make sure you understand and remember this again. It was 1v1. The deal was, if you lose, then all of that army has to serve the other nation. If the other enemy loses, then it's vice versa. So Saul wasn't like, yeah, just kind of, I guess, do whatever you want, whatever. No, no, no. Why did he give him his blessing? You ever thought about that? If you ever read this before, I think I was really kind of struck with this thought, like, man, how did all that get teed up? Like, why did Saul, because he tried to put, like, his armor on David at one point, and he knew David was going to go out there with just a slingshot, right? And he's about to face off this nine-foot-nine giant. Why? I think that Saul saw something in David's eyes when he saw him. I think he could see a vision of victory in David's eyes. I think when he looked in David's eyes, He saw something that he didn't see in any other warrior, any other person in the army. He saw in David's eyes that David had already been on the battlefield, and David had already won. And I think the issue with many of you a lot of times is when you are facing something in your life, you don't have a vision of victory. You only see it as defeat before you ever even fought the battle. You only have counted yourself out before you ever even gave, not just you giving it a chance, but God with you giving it a chance. You know, for me, it'd be like if I was stepping up to some monumental moment, which I have many times working here, moments where I just got to like, I got to hit the mark, right? And if before I even started, I was like, no, we shouldn't even put on conference. No one's ever even going to show up. What we shouldn't even have Wednesdays anymore no one's ever going to get saved. We're never going to grow. We're going to be the same group we, we were in 2011. What if I had that thought process that God could never advance victory for us? And I think when, when Saul looked in David David's eyes, he saw that David had already been on the battlefield and David had already won. So your life's full of a ton of different battlegrounds where you have to choose. pastor's been teaching me this. You have to choose whether it will be victory or defeat. It's not like, well, I just might lose. No, no, no. If you step up to something, and if it looks like defeat, that doesn't mean it has to be. You get to choose whether or not it will be victory, even in the midst of defeat. And pastor's been pounding this thought into my head lately, pounding it into our college students, pounding it into our church. Like, we choose victory or defeat. So when I look in some of your eyes, if I were to be honest, what do I see? Do you really want to know what I see? Do you want to know whether I see a vision of victory or whether when I look in your eyes, I already see defeat in your eyes because I see that you're approaching situations not with God's help, not with God's strength. It's in your might and your power, but not his spirit. And last time I checked, scripture says that what we're called to do as believers, it's not by our might. It's not by our power, but it's only by his spirit, declares the Lord. But what happens is we count ourselves out before we get there because we never included the Holy Spirit into the situation. You know, I think that there are there are plenty of moments in our lives that appear to be victories and defeats, and I say appears because again this is our this is our choice this is our decision here, but don't they appear that way? don't they feel that way? for me like twenty seventeen um, eventually I'll get to tell this full story because I think it's just a powerful story but in january twenty seventeen um I think it was Previously, there was two visions that were had about our pastoral team and then one had about me that I'd be falsely accused um, by someone in the church or maybe a woman in the church it was said something like that. So immediately we're thinking there's going to be a false accusation with adultery or something like that. So we got really smart. We got, like, lots of, like, people around us, protection, we took a lot of accountability more than ever before, right? And you'll notice now you'll never see me walking anywhere alone ever. There's always somebody with me to tell the story of what actually happened. You notice that? It started from this. And what's funny is it actually happened right here in this front row. I was falsely accused that I had to hit a woman in the face. And that word, that spread everywhere. Like people throughout the church were told that. They were told different versions. I I slapped a woman. I hit a woman. I smacked a woman. I punched a woman. There was like different versions told. But it all came to that I had to hit a woman in the face. That was the false accusation. Now, Scripture talks about this. It says don't even entertain a false false accusation against a leader, an elder of the church, unless there are two to three witnesses. Well, there was one. And it happened where this was a middle-aged woman who was actually very close to me at the time, and so it actually threw me for a shock right here because I was sitting here, In this conversation we had just finished the altars it's about 10 o'clock at night we were going after god the altars were packed the room's still full i had two witnesses there one in the back there that i know for sure saw the story amongst with other students but yet when this false accusation happened, it doesn't matter that the fact that I knew it wasn't true. It doesn't matter that our pastoral team knew it wasn't true. My family knew it wasn't true. I've never hit my wife. I've never hit anyone like that. Like even my brothers and I, I knew when we growing up, you don't touch the face. We'd punch each other in the arms growing up. You punch, you'd kick each other or something. You don't, don't touch the face. We knew that. And even though all of that was true, it's interesting once the devil can get his grip on you, what it can do, because it can get you doubted and it can get you wondering, like, like well, what are people saying about me? Is this true? And, you know, then people want to start leaving the church and lies, want to go through the community, and a whole lot of stuff happened from it. But see, after that, then we found out later in the year that my mom got cancer. And then after that, I was in the studio, I was recording, ironically, a song called Sound, and the sound of my voice went out and I lost my voice had to go through vocal therapy for three months. I couldn't preach. I couldn't sing for three months in 2017. After that, then I got, I, I, my nose has gotten broken by stinking John Rush, and so I tried to get it fixed, tried to get surgery. I had a deviated septum. I, can't, I still can't breathe properly. It didn't, it didn't sit. Didn't, it didn't get fixed. But thing after thing kept compounding, and when I was in vocal therapy, I asked the doctor, I said, what would have caused my voice to go out? He's like, well, besides the fact that you preach on it multiple times a week and you sing on it multiple times a week and you talk loud all the time, he said, the only way I could say describe your vocal cords is it looked like uh, your vocal cords would be a fist that you just kept punching the same wall over and over again, and eventually it just starts bleeding. There was like spots in my vocal cords. But I said, why, though? He said, stress. He said, this is what just happened, what was said about you, this lie. Your mom got cancer this year. It's just been thing after thing. And it just appears that it was just defeat after defeat. And then 2018, it kind of lifted and it got a little bit better, right? And and 2018, for me, it was an exciting year because we had released our first two albums as a band. It was super exciting. Then 2019 lifted. My son, Zeeland, was born in January. And then then it was like we launched Conference. We launched One Nights. We launched Collision, our summer camp. It got good, and then we all hit 2020 together. And and it wasn't just like COVID-19 and just like, who's going to get sick or whatever. It was like, I I had to cancel conference the week of COVID literally shut down like our nation, the week of our biggest thing that we do of the entire year as a ministry. We had been working night and day so hard like you can't imagine, and then just shut down. A missions trip that we had been working on for like a year going to Aswatini shut down. It was just thing after thing kept shutting down. And then for months, I'm in my basement by myself because Sid's trying to keep Zealand chilled many times upstairs. And I'm preaching like a thousand people are in the room with everything I got to a camera, hoping that the church family was on the other end joining us and gathering. Now, as we came out of quarantine, we came to find out that we were actually stronger and we were built different like never before. And We actually gathered together and we are one became a real thing. But I can tell you in that season, in that season, man, it just just felt like we were grinding. We didn't sleep. Everybody's talking about like, man, I just feel like I got so much time to do things. (laughs) I was like, where do you work? Because I need to work there instead. We did not sleep. I'd be on Zoom 10 hours a day, and this was going down. But then 2021 came. And it was like, we got to do conference 2021, and right before that, my son Zion is born, and it's like March Madness one It's like people are getting saved, and it's like really exciting. And then at the end of 2020, if you remember, I had found in the midst of quarantine and finally doctor's appointments that I had cancer, and so I got two tumors removed and so it just went lower and lower. So then when Zai was born all that, was like, we're lifting again. And then though we hit May of this year and it was like, oh, okay, here we go again. They're saying the cancer's back. And then it was all these doctor's appointments again and all these different things that go along with cancer. And you guys know the journey at this point. And here's what's funny is when I was planning to preach this sermon this fall, my sermon was me telling you guys about how I went through cancer. Because I had determined, well, let me, thanks for clapping, but I'm going to get to the main point, and then we can clap. <laughs> I had determined, I determined that I don't need to tell anybody right now because the cancer's dealt with, and I'll tell them the testimony later about what I had gone through. Not knowing that the cancer would come back this year, and then you would all be a part of the journey the whole way through. So now we can clap because God healed me of cancer. <laughs> What's my point? What's my point? These are the battlegrounds and this is your life. You got two options, fight or die. It's just like, how do you perceive these things to be? Are these defeats or are these victories? Because in the midst of it, it just feels like I'm going to defeat victory. Or was I? Or was God just teeing me up all along this whole time for nothing but victory? And even in the midst of what felt like defeat, he was building something in me for greater victory. Can I tell you, I have no idea what 2022 is going to be. That was just my last five years. I have no idea what 2022 is going to be. But what I know is that if I choose to align my heart and my thought process with, listen, I only win. It's only wins. Losses are not in my vocabulary. Gains are my vocabulary, but not losses. It's only wins. Why did David, think about this, why did David believe that he had won the fight before he ever fought? Why did he see it that way? Three reasons that I find that you can jot down real quick. I'm going to give them to you quick. But three reasons I believe that David had a vision of victory even when he faced defeat. Number one was that he had been anointed by Saul the previous chapter. In chapter 16, He was just anointed in the pasture as a shepherd boy, I'm sorry, by Samuel, not Saul. By Samuel, he had been anointed. Can I just tell you this very simple, very profound truth? Anointing is important. When you got anointing, you can do a lot of things that people without the anointing can't do. You can step into moments when the Holy Spirit is upon you and you got the anointing for something. You can step into moments that seem impossible, but when you got the anointing to do so, chapter 16, he gets anointed. Chapter 17, he's like, mm, "Let's fight a giant." The anointing changes everything. Can I tell you? I could never come up here and preach every week if I didn't have the anointing. I could never do it. Because what this would become is some like public speaking routine. I'd come up here and try to talk about as many Things that would keep your attention for as long as possible. My objective is not to keep your attention. My objective is to preach the Word of God and let it get a hold of your heart so the anointing will fall on you and the Spirit will fall on you. And I'm not looking for just you to change a couple of habits. I'm looking for you to allow the Holy Spirit to change everything about you, inside and out. We'll start on the inside. Anointing is huge. Number two, this is really important. Come back next week to Revival Week. Revival night if you want to know what it is. That's number two. I'm preaching on it next week. I thought I'd try to keep your attention a little bit into next week. Number three, David knew that he was a middle schooler. What do you mean I'm a middle schooler? Yeah, David knew that he was just a middle schooler. What do I mean by that? He recognized that whether we're talking Goliath or something else, there's a lot of things that are already beyond me. There's a ton of things I can't do. I might just be a middle schooler, but I recognize even when I was in the pasture with the lion, the bear, and all the different things in my life, I could never do it without God anyways. So why would I think that anything else in my life would be different? So it really doesn't matter whether I'm a middle schooler, high school, young adult. doesn't matter whether I'm as big as that dude. I can't do anything without God's strength. Do you realize how simple this is? Man, this is huge. He goes, I'm just a middle schooler. I can't do anything without God's strength. So it doesn't doesn't matter whether it's this or something else. I just can't do it. It's only through God's strength. So why everybody else, the Bible says that they're running in fear at the battle lines. Why does David decide to face off Goliath, to face his fears, to go forward? Because it's only through God's strength. He realized it's not just right now. Get this. It's not just right now that you have to overcome a fear. You're going to have to overcome another fear tomorrow and another fear in 10 years and another fear after that. So you might as well just get used to facing your fears because you're going to have to face them and overcome them for the rest of your life. So David looks at this. Let's say he's 12 years old. 12 years old, he looks at Goliath. He goes, i got to face this. i got to overcome this because let's flash forward now, 28 years. When he's 40 years old and he's the king of Israel, he wrote this in Psalm 23, verse 4. He said, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you're with me. What do I mean here? A couple things you got to catch here. One, I want you to, to see, visualize this here. The valley of the shadow of death, it's not like a metaphor. It was an actual place. It was a place that as a shepherd with sheep, you just did not go because it got so dark in the middle of that valley that literally wolves could be waiting for you, bandits could be waiting to, like, to kidnap and, and kill and all that kind of stuff, right? So he's referencing an actual place that he knew very well as a shepherd. But look at the demeanor. He says, even though I... Did, did he say run or what did he say? Sorry, I'm, I'm forgetting already. He says, even though I... Walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't fear. Not even though I speed walk like the grannies that work out on the track. He had a calm demeanor. He had a chill about him. He had a confidence. Why? He says, because you're with me. He says, as long as my shepherd is with me, I can get through anything. He goes, I might just be a middle schooler, but I can face my greatest fears, and I can even walk in the midst of them because I know that God, my shepherd, is with me. David recognizes that God always has been and God always will be the one that's winning the fight. It's really nothing to do with us. Do you know what it requires of us? We have to be obedient to step out on the battleground. That's really all That's that's all God's asking. And this seems simple, but this is not so simple for some people. You want know, to know why? Because of fear and because of pride. People are too prideful because they don't want to get embarrassed in front of people if they fall or if they fail, if they mess up in front of people. People are too scared because it's like, well, what will happen to me? And you never get the opportunity to walk, to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. All you do is spend your life just running, place to place. You're so scared. And you're so prideful, so you don't want to get, it's like, you're running to church, or running out of church, or you don't want to get caught anywhere because if somebody associates you to Jesus or something, ah, oh my, woe is me. If you might get associated to the things of God. Some of you never get to really walk and realize what it's like to just be full of the Holy Spirit and be able to do things that are just impossible for you to do, if you've never had a testimony where you get to just be like, oh my gosh, I just laid my hand on that person, and they're healed now, and I know that's not me. I know that's God. I I, I know that's God. Because listen, I've prayed for things before, and it didn't happen, so I know that it can't be me. So when it does happen, it can't be me. It has to be God. And some of you never get the opportunity to just walk through the valley because you allow fear and pride to keep you from leaving the battle line. You allow your fear and pride to keep you from truly accomplishing what God wants for you. See, the question is not whether or not we will win the fight. The question is whether or not you are willing to fight. Winning has never been a question. There is no option but winning with God. The question here is, are you willing to step into what God has called you to, to leave your fear, leave your, leave your pride, and just walk out on the battlefield with confidence and know, listen, I'm willing. I know God's got to win. I'm just willing to be used. Look at, look, at, look at this. Verse 16. It says, For 40 days the Philistine, meaning Goliath, he came forward every morning and every evening, and he took his stand, meaning he walked out and he said a bunch of stupid things against God, against the army of Israel, against the nation, and just went out there. Eighty times, do the math, morning, evening, 40 days, times two, Help us all get there so we realize it. Eighty times, 80 times he walked out there, said whatever the junk he wanted to say, and what did all of the Israelite army do? They stood there on the battlefield as if they were going to become something great, and they were something great, because that's what pride is. It's a facade, showing off something that you are that you're not really. And then the minute that Goliath came out, what do they do? They go running. That's what we just read earlier. They go running every time. All that they know is a life of running. They never know what it's like to walk with a poise and a confidence And no, listen, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because I know who's with me. Listen, you've already won. As believers, let's even say, let's hop into the New Testament. As believers, the Savior of the world, the King of kings, the maker of heaven and earth, Jesus, he left all of his glory to come here and take on the most gruesome death so you could win. He did it for you. The problem is for a lot of us, it's not whether or not you win; it's whether or not you're willing. I mean, I'll tell you, this resonates with me. This like perfectly describes my battleground in 20. We didn't say that way. It'd be 2004, and then it went like 2010, 2011. 2004. 2004. I was 16 years old, and I was introduced to pornography, and I got addicted. I was addicted. I couldn't do without it. I had to have it. It consumed me. It consumed my thoughts. It consumed my decisions. It it took me down such a deep, into a deep, dark hole that I did not think I could ever see the light of day. So now that I'm 33, I can step back and go, hmm, okay, I get it. When I was 16, God called me to be a youth pastor, and that's the same year I became addicted to pornography. Oh, okay, now I can see what the devil was up to trying to completely wreck the calling that God had given me at the time. I couldn't put it all together. felt like I was just scratching and crawling trying to get out of this hole and it became so exhausting the amount of times I prayed about it the amount of times that I tried to overcome it 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 just felt exhausting and then I go off to Bible college and I'm leading worship and I'm being used by God yet I'm still completely attached to my addiction and my sin And so then what you're struggling with is an identity crisis, not am I a guy or a girl. I knew that well, what the Bible says, but what I was struggling with is, is the person I'm portraying who I actually am? Because behind the scenes, I'm one person struggling with one thing, and I'm portraying something else to people like I'm this godly, holy person, and I'm clearly not. Oh, man, I was struggling so bad. I didn't think I'd ever, it was a battleground I didn't think I'd ever get off of. The objective was not to kill me. The objective was to torture me for the rest of my life. And I just remember uh, getting to a point where I was wanting to overcome the addiction because I knew that I loved Jesus, and that's what's confusing, isn't it? Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. But then there's this place of his grace where he's working with us on some things. And I was like, Jesus, I love you. I, I don't want this, but at the same time, I did want it. It wasn't that I didn't love Jesus because, come on, you ain't gonna tell me that the Israelite army, they didn't go up to the, the battle lines. They're like, oh, we ain't gonna fight because we don't love God. No, they loved the Lord their God, but fear had imprisoned them and they didn't know how to step out. And so I loved Jesus, but I loved my addiction more. This is the first time I've ever talked about this in 10 years of leading this ministry. And I felt like the Lord said, somebody needs to hear this because you're deep and it's dark. And some of you want to get out so bad and you don't feel like you can ever. It will never happen. Can I tell you? I thought I wanted to get out and then I had this realization. Ah, uh, I really didn't. Because sin is enticing. And sin is great. For a season, it's really great. It makes you feel what you want to feel. It gives you what you want. It satisfies you so it would appear until later on in life you realize that the decisions you made earlier in life still affect you now later on in life. And I would say that I wanted to be freed, but I, I realized that I didn't actually want to fight to be free. I said I did. At church they give an altar call and I come up and we'd pray about it and I talked like I did but the reality is I didn't really want to be free because I didn't actually make a decision to get huge accountability in my life to get every filter necessary in my life to have every conversation I possibly could to take every step I possibly could to finally say you know what I want to be free so bad I don't care what it takes to be free I will fight and I will fight and I will fight until I'm free I never did that I never did that and I'm sitting here and I realize I never did that I talked like I wanted to be free but I didn't actually want to be free because I'd go back and I'd do the same thing every time and then I'd feel like complete crap afterwards I'd be like oh god what am I doing I did this for years For, for years, I felt so caught in an addiction that I was overpowered by a giant, and I could not defeat it. I stood on the battle line. I was like, God, I love you. Give me the strength to over, overpower and take on this giant. And then I would just turn and run in fear, and I just couldn't do it. And I recognized I said I wanted to be free, but I didn't actually want to fight to be free. Because if you think once you enter bondage, somebody's just going to walk in and be like, here you go, let's undo these cuffs, do go on your marriage. No, you're going to have to, be, you're to, have to fight to be free. You have to fight with everything in you to say, This is not who I am. I know who I am in Christ. You're going to have to fight. You're going to make, have to make some hard decisions. You might have to cut people or things out of your life. You might have to break your cell phone and never buy another one if that's what it takes. But see, you're like, That's crazy. You don't actually want to be free if you're not willing to go down that road. And that's the reality is we say something, and this is called Christianese is what it is. We say one thing out of our mouth, but that is not what our heart is actually saying. And I was standing, I was looking at this giant like David was in verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw he was just no more than a little boy, glowing with health and, and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Because he had his staff in his hand. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. He said, come here, and I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And over and over and over again, I would believe the lies of the enemy. I would believe the control and the lives of my addiction until finally I said, you know what? I've had enough. I want to be free I'm done with this, I don't want this anymore, and here's the problem. Do you know how bad our pastors and our leaders want things for you? And until you want it for yourself, you'll never get it because us wanting it for you doesn't make you free. It's us. Wa- it's you wanting it for you. You wanting to fight. You wanting to have accountability. You wanting to be a bo- part of the body of the Christ. You wanting to say, listen, I can overcome this. It's you wanting it, and I finally got to a point and I said, I want this, God. Like, I, t- I truly want this. I'm sick of people wanting things for me. I'm sick of other people praying for me. I'm sick of just going up and putting on a facade. Like, I want this. I want to be free. I want to be free, God. I want to be free. I will surrender. I will get in deeper accountability. I will put protection on myself. That's why you never see me go anywhere alone. I don't even meet with any of our staff here that are young ladies alone, ever. Because I don't want to be a slave anymore. I married a wife that prays for me when I go through things and when I struggle, a wife that I can be accountable with, a wife that lifts me up if I I feel like I'm a screw-up. And I've become all that I can be in Jesus because I've been willing to fight the good fight, as the Apostle Paul calls it. I was just finally sick of standing on the sidelines and my future being controlled. I could see my marriage being controlled ahead of me. I could see my kids being controlled ahead of me. I could see fear and pride in every single sin gripping it. And finally, just like, just like David said to the Philistine, I said to the devil in my addiction, I said, listen, you have come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down, and I will cut off your head. This very day, I will give your, the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and to the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you all into our hands. Listen, the battle belongs to the Lord. He is fighting for you. He's the one that gives the victory to you, but if you're not willing to actually fight with him, you can't be you cannot participate and partake in the victory. You just can't. As the Philistine moved closer to David to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. And reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. Oh, man. And the stone sank into Goliath's forehead, into it. And he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling And a stone, without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine, and he killed him. And David ran, I love this, and David ran over him, and he just stood over him. Oh, that's so boss. And he just, you got this little, tiny, 12-year-old middle schooler standing over this nine-foot-nine giant. And David ran over, and he stood over him, and he took hold of the Philistine sword, this massive sword. And he drew it from the scabbard. And after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. And when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. See, the same thing that the Israelites were doing over and over again, turning and running, turning and running. Here now, the tables have turned where David cuts off his head. All of their army turns and runs. Israel goes and chases them. And they just, boom oh man, they beat them up to a pulp. And God's people won because a young boy decided to stop staying on the battle lines and actually step onto the battlegrounds. Can I tell you what I think God's called you to when you leave here? It's more than just freedom or these things. This is the beginning of you deciding if you want it, you fight for it. It's not in your own strength. It's in the strength that God gives you. But if you want something, For the cause of Christ, you fight. But my favorite part of this whole thing, I took the verse out and I saved it to the end because we would have read it, we would have just glossed over it and missed it. My favorite part is verse 40. And this is what I want to get in your spirit. It says, Then he took his staff in his hand, David. He chose five smooth stones from the stream. He put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. And then blah, 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 everything we just read happened. Why is this important? Why did David choose five stones? He only needed one. Was he scared that he might miss? Listen, if he was going to miss, he was in big trouble. He already knew this walking in. He knew he had one shot, one attempt. If he was going to miss, he knew he was demolished. He already knew in his own strength, although he was super skilled, he already knew that if If he missed, he would be done, so I can't miss. So God, help me not to miss. God, it's only in your strength. I'm a middle schooler. I can't do anything without you anyways. So eh, it wasn't because of that. He wasn't planning on missing. See, what I want to get into your spirit is remember, Goliath was of the Nephilim. He was one of many of these monstrous beasts born of demon, whatever, blood, venom, crazy crap inside their system. And they walked planet Earth. And so Goliath's brothers were still out there. David didn't choose five stones for Goliath. He knew he only needed one, which means he had four stones left. Why? Because when you get the vision of victory in your spirit, you can't help but become a giant slayer. Goliath was stop one of a journey that David wanted to go on because one giant falling was not enough because there was other giants that were going and they were coming against God and his people. And what I want to get in your spirit tonight not that you would just step on battlegrounds and you'd have one sort of little victory and, oh my gosh, I overcame this stronghold, this strong. No, that you would walk out into everyday life as a giant slayer saying, listen, I got four stones left still for every demon, every demonic stronghold. Everything that will come against the people and the presence of God, against my faith, against my calling, against my future. Listen, I know what it's like to be a slave. I know what it's like to be in a prison. And I know what it's like to be a giant slayer. If you want to ask me every day of the week, do I want to be a slave or a slayer? I'm going to tell you every day of the week, I want to be a giant slayer. You got two options. Fight or die. It's really that simple. Will you bow your heads, close your eyes with me tonight? I could feel it in the room. There is a lot of demonic strongholds and addictions in this room tonight. I don't think uh, any of us are wondering if that's here. I think we're very aware that that's here. But I just want you to understand that if all that you're focused on is becoming free of that one thing, you're missing the big picture of what God wants to do. Freedom, this is the beginning because when you decide to fight, you get free. But if after that, you think that's good enough that you can just, well, I'm free now, I can just, no, God is wanting to put in your spirit a vision of victory so you can see victory for other people that are in bondage, so you can see strongholds off other people coming off, So that one giant isn't enough for you to take out, but so that you can right now in this moment begin to get something in your spirit. Something in your spirit that doesn't just see strongholds come off of you, but that sees that you become a giant slayer to see strongholds come off other people. Come on, look around the world, y'all. Do you know how many people are standing on the battle lines and they never actually step on the battlegrounds? God's calling us. God's calling us to be Davids. God's calling us to be men and women after his own heart. He's calling us to be shepherd warriors. The New Testament says that we are royalty. Just like David became king, listen, we are co-heirs with Christ, we are royalty. But what he's asking for us to get in our spirit here tonight is the fight, the victory, the battle. The win, that belongs to God and him alone, but are you willing to fight? Are you willing to lay down your pride? Are you willing to lay down your your fear? Are you willing to lay down the things that keep you on the battle lines when clearly God has called you on the battle grounds? This response tonight is more than just, I need Jesus, more than just, I have an addiction. Listen, look up at me. The same fight that will help you overcome addiction is the same fight that you need to to go after other giants and people that need your your help with their addictions and strongholds and the world that's broken and in need of you declaring Jesus. It's not like, oh God, give me enough fight so I can be free. No, 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 we don't need freedom tonight. We need a fight in us tonight. You see, you you look at historically, any war that was ever turned where freedom happened, What happened before they got there? A fight. If it was a fight till death, then it was a fight till death, but they were going to fight until they were free. You don't need freedom tonight. You need a fight in you tonight. You need something that's deep inside of you that you aren't going to give up when the times get tough next time and when you're tempted next time. I don't know about you. I can tell you about me. I'm not okay with okay. I'm not okay with complacent. I'm not okay with, well, just uh, I guess I'll have to to deal with normal. I'm just not that type of guy. I'm gonna be all that I can be in Jesus. If he says, this is what I offer you, I want to be all that I can be. I want to be holiness if I can be holy. I want to partake in his glory if I can. I want to receive his power if I can. I want to walk in true freedom if I can. If this is what God offers me, then I want all of it. I'm not okay with okay. So listen, this message might not resonate with you tonight if you are. If you're okay with okay, then this message was not for you, and that's okay. It's not okay though, because we can't use the word okay right now. It's gonna be. Come back next week. Maybe that won't be for you. But I would like you to know, Revival Night, it's just gonna be another part two of this same message. So maybe come back the week after that if you want. But I'm not here to lead a generation Or to lead a ministry into complacency and laziness and okay. We're going to be giant slayers. We're going to be people of faith. We're going to be people of the spirit. And we're going to go forward in what God has for us. I'm not okay with the battle lines when people are dying on the battlegrounds. So bow your heads and close your eyes with me. If this message was for you, then I want you to repeat this prayer with me. A prayer of faith. It's the acknowledgement of our sin before Jesus. But more than that, it's the acknowledgement that we're all just middle schoolers that are in need of Jesus. That without him, we can't do anything. And if we're going to get the fight in our spirit, then it comes with fully receiving the Holy Spirit tonight. So say with me, say, Jesus, I acknowledge that you are the same God that was there anointing David in the pasture. Before he faced off Goliath, you're the same God that walked on planet Earth, that died for my sins, and rose from the tomb. So, you're the God I'm looking for. You're the one I want to talk to. Say, so listen to me. I want to hear you tonight, I want to experience you tonight, I want to have a true encounter with you tonight. Say, Jesus, put the fight in me. We don't wage war as the world does. Because this ain't about flesh and blood. But the war that we wage, it's on our knees. It's in prayer. We receive the victory through declaring your word. And when we tell the devil to shut up, that's when we walk in your grace and your glory, and your goodness. So say tonight, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I give you all of my life. Grant me all of your Holy Spirit, because I'm just a little shepherd boy, and I cannot do this if you don't empower me to take on this giant. So I speak to every uncircumcised Philistine that comes against me and that comes against this army that I'm warring with. And I say in the name of Jesus, I'm more than a conqueror. I'm strong in who you are. And I got a vision of victory. So I'm taking my feet tonight from the battle lines to the battlegrounds. Use me, Jesus, for your glory, in your awesome, in your holy, in your beautiful name. Everybody says amen tonight. Come on, give them all the glory.